my my daughter asked me what Good Friday was. Uh, what, what was the point of Good Friday? And I told her that it's it's the time where we remember uh, Jesus' death, where we think about uh, the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Uh, and as I said that, I thought, you know, that's kind of what we do every Sunday, isn't it? Uh, I'm thankful that in our church the, the cross isn't something that just shows up on Good Friday. But this is at the core of our faith. If you think about a symbol of Christianity, what is it? It's the cross. It's it's what we contemplate always, what we think about. Um, and so this day that we commemorate is is really at the core of what we believe. And so it's good to come and to pause and to think on the cross um, on this special day. But it's it's good to pause and think about the cross always. But we don't come... I think we might have the temptation to come as if this is some sort of a funeral or a memorial service. Um, this isn't really the time of, of mourning like we would mourn over a loved one that we have lost. There's sadness that, that surrounds the events of Good Friday, but there's also this wonderful triumph that happens on Good Friday. There's this strange mix of emotions and, and passions when we think about the passion of Jesus Christ. So much so that sometimes if we look long at the cross, we don't necessarily know what angle to look at it. There's so many different ways that we can contemplate it. Um, and so tonight, uh, we're simply going to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and think about just a couple of deeps from the gospel, gospel deeps, and, and namely just two simple things. One, the depths of our sin, and two, the depths of God's love. I think that Romans 5, 6 through 8 reveals these two truths that we see at the cross. Again, this isn't a full orb picture of everything that the cross is, but I do hope it would be helpful for us tonight to think on the depths of our sin and the depths of God's love that we see in the cross. So Romans chapter 5, and I just want to read these three verses. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can we read that one more time and just let it sink in? You've probably heard these words a lot, but let's read them again. For while we were still weak, helpless, without strength, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So these two deeps that we're going to think about, the first is the depth of our need, the depth of our sin, the depth of our, of our need, and I want to speak at it from the standpoint of us before Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, then this is not who you are now, but this is who we were apart from Christ. And the first thing that we see is that apart from Christ, we are helpless. Apart from Christ, we are helpless. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak, while we were still without strength, while we were still helpless, it could be translated while we were sick, while we were ill, when we were feeble. Think back to a time maybe when you were physically at your weakest. 
kids, maybe think about a time when you were sick. You just, your stomach hurt or you had a really bad headache or you just, you were so sick and weak and you couldn't even get out of bed and, and you wanted a drink of water and just thinking about getting a drink of water, it was so hard to think about sitting up and drinking some water. We've all been there where you just feel helpless and the water sits there for five minutes and you're thirsty but you just don't want to exert the energy to get up you're you're helpless you're you're weak you are without strength that's the word here when we were still weak when we were still without strength when we were unable to do anything with regard to the greatest problem in our life the unforgiven sin that's in our heart we couldn't do anything about it god's wrath is upon us because of our sin and we are so weak. Paul goes even further elsewhere. What's he say we are? He says that we are dead. Not just that we're sick, but that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we can do absolutely nothing to come to God. We are helpless. Have you ever said those words, I'm helpless? You go to a situation, you come home and you tell your spouse, you know, I just felt so helpless. It's that feeling you just you can't do anything. You want to do something, but but you can't. This is us apart from God. That's that's hard for us to take, you know, in a culture that makes things scripture that aren't something like God helps those who help themselves. I think some people think that's in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. And what does this text say? You can't help yourself. You can't do anything. We are helpless. Apart from God, we're helpless. Apart from God, we are ungodly. Verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for the irreverent, for God-haters. You know, we think ourselves very godly, but apart from Christ, we are not. We are rebels against him. We point our finger at God. We call him unjust. We say that he has sinned against us when we're the ones that have sinned against him. You know, we we read, I, I listened to Matt read these things that people came by and said to Jesus. And you just recoil at that. How could they say that to the Son of God? And yet apart from Christ, that's who we are, aren't we? We are ungodly. We are irreverent. We do not regard God for who he is. We don't think as highly of him as we should think. And unless God comes to us, that's where we will stay. The crowd pridefully called for the crucifixion of God himself. They sat there. They gambled in front of him for his clothes. They spit on him. They pulled out his beard. They laughed at his broken body. This is what we do apart from God. We reject Him. We set ourselves up as God. We are opposed to God. We want nothing to do with Him. He is despised and rejected in our eyes. Think about how deep our need is. We are helpless. Apart from God, we are ungodly. Another word to use here, third, is that we are sinners. We are sinners. Verse 8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners but when we had rebelled that we rebelled against him we walked around with the stain of of sin on our lives a famous american novel the scarlet letter tells about hester prynne who had committed adultery and her punishment was that she had to go through the rest of her life with a, a scarlet red a on the front of her clothes that told everyone that she had committed this sin that that she had committed adultery. And so as she walked into town and as she went about her daily duties, this was always before. Everyone knew what she had done wrong. And everyone in the self-righteousness looked at her and said, look, she's the sinner. 
and maybe didn't look at their own sin. And sometimes we walk around, and, we, and before we were in Christ, we walked through life assuming that, that our sins were hidden, that, that no one could see them, that, that no one knew about, about our anger or our greed or our jealousy, that, that our, our lust and our pride and our lying, that these were all secrets and that no one knew about them. But before God, he knew every single one of them. He knew all of our sins. Before God, we are laid bare. God sees that we are sinners apart from Christ. We are sinners. Think about who we are. The depth of our sin, the depth of our need. Apart from Christ, we are sinners. We are ungodly God-haters. We are spiritually dead. We are weak. We are helpless to do anything the cross shows us the ugliness of our sin, doesn't it? It's what sin causes. It caused the death of an innocent man. If it's true that God helps those who help themselves, then we are hopeless. But that's not true. It's not true that God helps those who help themselves. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Because the cross isn't just reveal our sin, but it also reveals the solution to the problem. It reveals not just the depth of our need, but it reveals the depth of God's love. That's what this passage is really about, is the depth of God's love. Look for it here as we read it one more time. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows what? His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In spite of who we are, Jesus comes at the perfect time. He comes at the right time, the, the perfect time. In the fullness of time is what Galatians says. In the fullness of time, God comes into the world to save sinners. It's perfect. It's, it's perfect in, in God's salvation history. It's, it's just the perfect time. And it's perfect in that he comes when we need him. Think about someone coming right at your point of need, right when it's the very last moment and you need help. If no one comes at this moment, then you are done for. And Jesus shows up right at the perfect time. The depths of God love, it's in spite of who we are, Jesus comes at the perfect time. And in spite of who we are, he comes to demonstrate his love through his death. He comes to demonstrate his love through his death. This is the force of the passage, that God's love is, is so deeper, so much deeper and, and higher and, and wider than anything that we could ever think or imagine, that when we were helpless, when we were unable to even take one step towards God, that He came to us, that He came from heaven. When we couldn't come to Him, He came to us, and He humbled Himself and became a human being. That when in our ungodliness we, we pushed him away, we said we didn't want anything to do with him, we ran as far as we could from him, he pursued us. And the goodness and the loving kindness of our God pursues us all the days of our lives. And that in spite of the fact that we sinned boldly right before his face, he came and he knew no sin. And he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And he died. Not because he had sinned. Jesus never sinned. This is something we've seen so clearly in Luke, isn't it? 
That, that Jesus comes and Jesus does what we could not. Jesus is, is the one who, who fulfills the law in the way that we never could. Jesus is the second Adam. Remember we talked about this, how, how Adam failed. Adam did not remain perfect, but Jesus comes as the second Adam, the representative for us, and he obeys the law fully. He does everything that he's supposed to do. He doesn't do anything that he's not supposed to do. And so when he dies, he dies for us, if you read the arrest, and I encourage you, read the, the arrest of Jesus and the trials of Jesus, even this evening. You know what's emphasized throughout? They had nothing to bring against him. All throughout, he is seen as innocent. They, they trump up these charges against him. They say, we should kill him because of this, and nothing can be proved. What did they finally get him on? Blasphemy. They killed him because he said he was the son of God. But wasn't he? There was nothing that they could charge against him. He was perfect. He was sinless. Even Pilate himself, Pilate's wife, says, have nothing to do with who? With that righteous man. And Pilate, the coward that he was, still stands there and washes his hands and says, I'm innocent of this guy's blood because he is innocent. He has done nothing wrong. So Jesus doesn't die because of his sin, but he dies because of ours. There's nothing to compare this love to. Uh, Paul brings this out, verse 7. One would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. There are people that die for other people. When we think about soldiers who, who give over their lives for the sake of their comrades, or friends who lay down their lives for their friends, or parents who lay down their lives for their children, or heroes who pay the ultimate sacrifice to save other people. But, but we cannot fathom this kind of love, the kind of love that comes to people that would spit in his face that would mock him, and he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. This is beyond our comprehension. There's no, there's no reason to bring out any illustration because there's nothing to compare it to. It's beyond what we could ever imagine. Who can comprehend the, lo- the love of a God who comes in human form, who comes in weakness, so that he can save us from our weakness, that he can save us out of our ungodliness and our sin? when we were kicking against him. When does he come? He comes while we're still weak. When does he come? He comes while we were sinners. He doesn't wait for us to get better. He comes when we're at our lowest. He steps out onto the stage of human history and he shows us how much he loves us. That's that word there, but God shows. He he demonstrates. He doesn't just say, I love you. He gets on the cross and he says, I love you. He does it through his, his actions. Not only does he show his love, but that word is used, I have to say it back here in, in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 24, verse 23, let's say. It says, there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a, as a wrath absorber, as the one who would take on God's wrath for us, as a substitute, as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show, to demonstrate God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We're emphasizing the deep love of God, but his righteousness is shown so clearly here that he pays for the price. He is just and the justifier. 
He shows his love by enduring the cross and despising the shame. He shows his love by humbling himself to death on a cross, by dying for us, by dying for you, by dying for me. Paul makes it very personal, doesn't he? But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's very personal. God shows his love for you. And that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. The cross is, is deep. It shows us how deep our sin is. We always want to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But before Christ, we we were helpless. I mean, we had no hope at all. We were dead. Even if we wanted to take a step towards God, which we didn't, we couldn't. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were ungodly. We hated God. We wanted nothing to do with God. Kicked against Him. And we were sinners. We were stained by the way that we had rebelled against God. And in the midst of that, it was at that moment that he shows his love. While we were still weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What wondrous love God shows us at the cross. Think on your sin, but then look to the cross and see the beauty of God's love. I, I want to read a prayer from from this book. Some of you may know this, Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions, which means the, the language is a bit archaic, but I don't know how to say it any better than the way that they say some of these things in here. Um, this one is titled, Love Lusters at Calvary. It means love, love shines forth at Calvary. Um, and this is a prayer. And so I would encourage you to, to close your eyes and to think on what this prayer says. Um, as we prepare our hearts to take communion, I will read this prayer and close us in a short prayer. And then we'll just take a time of silence to reflect before we uh, take the Lord's Supper. And then I'll have some words before we do that. But listen to these words. Love lusters, love shines at Calvary. My Father... Enlarge my heart, warm my affections, open my lips, supply words that proclaim love lusters, love shines at Calvary. Their grace removes my burdens and heaps them upon thy son, made a transgressor, a curse and sin for me. There the sword of thy justice smote the man thy fellow. There thy infinite attributes were magnified and infinite atonement was made. There infinite punishment was due and infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. Cast off that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped, that I might be clothed. Wounded, that I might be healed. Athirst, that I might drink. Tormented, that I might be comforted. Made a shame, 
that I might inherit glory. Enter darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes. Groaned that I might have endless song. Endured all pain that I might have unfading health. Be, bore a thorned crown that I might have a glory diadem. Bowed his head that I might uplift mine. Experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. Closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. Expired that I might forever live. O oh, Father, who spared not thine only Son, that thou mightest spare me. All this transfer thy love designed and accomplished. Help me to adore thee by lips and life. Oh, that my every breath might be ecstatic praise, my every step buoyant with delight, as I see my enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, destroyed, sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood, hell's gates closed, heaven's portal open. Go forth, O conquering God, and show me the cross, mighty to subdue, comfort, and save. Father, we see your love shine forth on the cross. Lord, we see the beauty of what you have done. God, you so love the world that you sent your only Son, that he might live and die, but did, did not come into this world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us to do what we could not do, to take on the penalty for our deep sin and rebellion so that we might know all of these wonderful gifts. Lord, help us to have that attitude of being sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. May we have that mixture of emotions even tonight as we think and reflect on what you have done for us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.